You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. How logical is sacrifice? And how much like Christ can a Vulcan or android really be? Well, today we're going to find out. We're going to be discussing Spock from the original Star Trek series, as well as Data from the Next Gen series. We don't do a ton of Star Trek, so this is really exciting. And we brought in some extra help for this one. Guys, this is Systematic Geekology. We are the Priest of the Geeks. I'm Joshua Noll. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Whole Church Podcast. I do a few other things, and hopefully you guys know me from here as well. I am joined today by the one and only Philadelphia's favorite, Joe Day. What's up, everybody? I am so excited to finally get a chance to talk about Star Trek again. It's been a minute. Oh, yeah. And she's been on an episode before, but not with us. So we welcome back the one and only Sari. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit more to our audience? Because I, I don't dare try to pronounce your last name. I am <laughs> terrible at Spanish. <laughs> yeah, it's my um, my Panamanian spouse gave me gave me the gift of a fun last name. So yeah, Sari Martin Concepcion. That's the name. <laughs> Good to be Great back. Stuff. Good to Great be back. Stuff. I'm glad we had, to, we had to get we had to get rid of Will so that we could talk about Star Trek. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I. Will is almost only Star Wars. Like, I, I feel like if it was a scale, he's like 99% Star Wars. I'm probably next to him at like 80. And then you have Joe. And it sounds like you're more on like the pure Star Trek part of the scale or closer to it. Yeah. I mean, I watched the original movies when I was growing up and I appreciated them. I didn't, I don't dislike Star Wars in any way. It just doesn't really like do much for me. <laughs> it doesn't move me in my heart, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah my um my aunt i just call her annette she listens occasionally and she made me watch all the original ones when i was a kid we'd go over to kentucky for the summer mm-hmm. there was no wi-fi or anything like that it is kentucky they were the last to get the wi-fi and all that so it was just hey what did she have on dvd that's what we're watching while we're here so i got star trek it wasn't even dvd it was vhs but you know different times different that's times great. so guys without further ado Let's jump into this. We are talking about two iconic characters in an iconic, two iconic series, Spock and then Data. Um, I feel like more people might be familiar with Spock than Data, but hopefully, if you're listening, you know both of these characters at least a little bit. Guys, how did you guys first come to know and love Star Trek? We're talking a little bit about that before the show, but um, Siri, do you want to take the ball on that first? Yeah, sure. I'm right in the pocket for the age group that was um, the next generation, TNG, as we'll call it. I think we can go with the shorthand on this with this crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up watching TNG, watching it with my dad on Sunday afternoon slash evenings um, as it was airing. I'm not sure if I watched right from the beginning because that was like I was probably in kindergarten or something. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, coming in probably a couple seasons in and watching it week after week. I really I was really attached to the characters. I feel like it was actually pretty formative for me in terms of like, I was actually paying attention to like how leadership works. And my, I love the scenes where they were all sitting, sitting around the conference room table and everyone was giving their perspectives on a problem. And, you know, Picard would be like, yep, yep. Okay. Nope, nope, nope. Worf, no, <laughs> you know, and uh, I love those <laughs> scenes where everyone was bringing their expertise to the problem and just thinking about like, I think that, just like I think that would be my ideal like work scenarios like being on the Enterprise D. Um, and then, yeah, I came to the original series via the movies, probably. I think I saw the original series mm-hmm. films before I kind of went back to the series and watched it and got more of the, the original. You know, it's only three seasons originally. Um, but yeah, seeing the Star Trek motion picture, Rathacon is still one of my favorite movies. Uh, Search for Spock. Undiscovered oh, yeah. Country, the whale movie, infamous whale. Yes. <laughs> I love that one, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember seeing Star Trek Six in the theater uh, when I was a kid. And that's a great one, too. That's a really, it's the, the Undiscovered awesome. Country. So, uh, yeah. And then we we talked about it a little bit, but didn't fall in love with Deep Space Nine when it originally aired or Voyager. Kind of gave them a shot. But later on, I revisited those series and really came, grew to appreciate them. Nice, nice. Yeah, I... um. I guess I'm I'm a little different coming to this game. I'm um, I mentioned earlier my aunt showed me all the old movies. The one that stuck out was the whale one. So many years later, I'm like, what, what was that movie where space people and whales were interacting? <laughs> so I, I found that, and being a little bit older, there was enough missing pieces that I was like, 
So what, what's happening to Spock here? So I had to start watching them from the beginning to figure it out. And then I caught up on that and I found out that I kept trying to watch Next Gen afterwards. And I was like, I just couldn't get past the second season. I just kept forgetting that I was watching it. But more recently, Lower Decks has come on Paramount+. Plus, And that has me just heads over heels, completely fall in love with the whole Star Trek universe. I'm like, this is great stuff. So I, I, you could say the original movies or you could say Lower Decks. They're both sort of my uh, my door into this. Joe, I know we've talked about it before on a different episode, but uh, you remind everybody, how did you fall in love with Star Trek? So um, I grew up a a movie nerd. Movies have been a very significant part of my life for a long part of my life. And I grew up down the street from a movie rental place. And every month at the beginning of the month, they would have these flyers that would show all of the upcoming, like all of the current releases, all of the upcoming releases, all of that kind of stuff. And I had heard, um, namely through one of my cousins, who's a little bit older than me, that is a huge <laughs> Star Trek fan. And so I, I had heard of Star Trek and um, I think it was Insurrection was the first one that I saw of the TNG movies when it came out and that was what introduced me for the first time. And I'm like, this is insane. And I had already (laughs) been exposed to star Wars and like my, my true fandom for star Wars is the original three. And I have a lot of those nostalgia ties and all of that kind of stuff. And so that was kind of my entry point. And I, when I started collecting series and movies and stuff like that myself. One of the first things that I picked up was um, Next Generation. And so it's that led into seeing the... um, I knew that there was an original series, but I had never seen it. And then I saw Wrath of Khan for the first time, Mm. which I actually saw my wife saw for the first time. And I saw again uh, in theaters like a week ago. There's a company that's been doing classics and playing them in theaters. And that was cool. But that, and I went back and and saw the original, the original series and kind of went on from there. Um, It's funny. I, as far as um, DS9 goes, I I was saying before we went live that I, um, it was Will and Sari's episode that got me back into rewatching it and all of that. But I remember the first time that I watched it. I'd, you know, again, been exposed to Star Trek by this point, and I was a huge wrestling nerd growing up, like a huge wrestling fan. And one of the shows was on um, UPN, which syndicated um, a lot of the Star Trek stuff, including DS9. And I remember watching, I just caught a random uh, episode. And and like you said, Sari, it's so, like, it, it is totally different in a lot of ways from TNG and from the original series that like when you're young and you're not like interested in the nuance of the story and the characters and all of that fun stuff, it's just kind of like, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't Star Trek. Never mind, You know, and I, as I got older and I appreciate, appreciated nuanced storytelling, I went back, listened to, I understand. I totally sound like a Star Trek, <laughs> like snob right now, but I'm it's okay. I'm vibing with it though. I'm totally getting it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, and I told you guys this earlier, but I've always been told that Deep Space Nine will be my favorite just because I'm a huge religion nerd. I like studying outside religions or fictional religions. I just think it's fascinating. I haven't got to it right now. The way I'm watching through Star Trek is probably the weirdest way possible. For those who don't know, Lower Decks is a cartoon, and it is somehow both canon and parody of Star Trek. So they'll get, like, a toy of one of the old ships and be like, oh, man, this is the only good one, you know, whatever. And they're, like, making fun of the fans that actually act this way. And what I've been doing is I'm going through and they reference or make a joke about an episode from a different series. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go watch that episode real quick. So I've been kind of working through it in the oddest way possible. So that's that's just, you know, that's what I'm doing. It's fun. Whatever your entry point is, I think that's good. (laughs) uh, I have been aware of Spock for much longer than Lower Decks, just because of my aunt and all of that. Um, Joe, would you mind kind of filling in those who don't know? Who is Spock? What is his story? We talked about the Rathacon a few times, which just as a side note, Having remembered the whale movie first and then going back from the beginning and watching Wrath of Khan, you're like, oh, wait, is that why he did? And then you see his search for Spock. It's like, what? 
first movie is notoriously not good or not that good. I can skip the first movie. Yeah, but like two, three, and four. Well, Mm, Star Trek movies, the even ones are always better for some reason. But two, three, and four (laughs) work as a trilogy if you were to watch them through. And and they all kind of go right back to back chronologically. And then five is pretty bad again. Six is great. I honestly, I like all of the movies other than the first one. And sometimes I like them because they're bad. Like uh, the one, what was it? They find like a god or something. And like it's Spock's brother that we didn't (laughs) know. It's really Spock's brother that we just found out about Star Trek five. And then he has an adopted sister that we just found out about Discovery. (laughs) Yep. It's totally, totally normal. (laughs) Yeah. Joe, who is Spock? What is the story that we're referencing in that movies two, three, and four, that that trilogy? So Spock is a Vulcan and Vulcans are uh, logic based, um, logic, a logic based race. And he is a part of Starfleet and is a member of the Enterprise crew, um, specifically playing largely against, um, uh, William Shatner, uh, Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. And it, it was funny. Uh, my wife and I were actually just before or earlier today when I was telling her about the subject matter of today's episode, um, we were talking about that dichotomy of Jean-Luc and Data against uh, <laughs> Kirk and Spock. And kind of why it was so interesting when when Spock and, and Jean-Luc met because it was the two straight men that were me that were meeting for the first time. But anyway, um, so he is a character that is um, has has mixed heritage, human human and Vulcan, but is most strongly identified as as a Vulcan. And so you see him kind of go through this character arc, this progression, this story of. Um, what ends up becoming kind of like self-discovery, I guess, is a good way of putting it. But it's it's wrestling with kind of hitting this point of divorcing himself completely from emotion, completely from anything uh, outside of logic, but also being put in these situations where he's faced and confronted with this idea of high emotional situation or things that break logic or something along those lines and Mm -hmm. ultimately resulting in his sacrifice, his rebirth, you know, those, those kinds of things. And you see, you know, I, I, for one, I am, I will forever be an apologist for the first uh, Star Trek movie. I think it's, uh, and, Mm -hmm. and I think part of that is, um, I can appreciate an IP being exactly what it is and nothing more. That movie is a was an hour and a half long uh, episode of the, like if you want to show somebody this is what Star or the original Star Trek is that it's it's that movie. You know what I mean in a, in a lot of regards. So the whole V'ger thing, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. The guy from Seventh Heaven is ridiculous, <laughs> but. <laughs> But but it is what it is. Yeah. But but yeah, that his his story beats really kick into high gear starting at um Wrath of Khan and going through through the next several okay. movies. Um and, and that's kind of a aerial, you know, overview version of of who Spock is. Yeah. One thing that I feel like you benefit if you do go back and watch the original series, which I feel like a lot of people don't, because the series itself has like the absolute worst effects anything has ever had, basically. <laughs> but but you do see Spock where he's wrestling with the fact that he's part human and part Vulcan. And he's supposed to be, because he's part of Vulcan culture, he's supposed to be completely logical and all that. And you see these moments here and there where he's realizing, maybe emotion's not the worst thing here. Maybe this part of my humanity is okay. And then it comes to this point where he realizes the logical thing is to sacrifice himself for the good of everyone. And... Because of that, when he does come back to life, which that's a whole thing in of itself, he basically is reset and it's back to all logic. And he's having to rediscover those humanity parts in the movies, which are at least produced a little bit better. So I feel like it's more palatable for people then at that point. I I think that might be why they did that. Um, But yeah, Spock. I love Spock. I I particularly love in the whale movie, they go back in time. They're in San Francisco and he, he tries to mimic 
doing the strong language because he's told that's what people do here. And he just says it at the most like nonsensical parts of the sentence that just makes it sound so dumb. Plus he's being logical. He's not like getting emotional and angry and yelling swear words. He's like, yeah, this word, isn't that right? <laughs> it's like, that's, that's not how you do it. Spock. <laughs> it's, it's just weird, but great. Um, Sari, did you have anything you wanted to add about Spock, Spock's character storyline, any of that? Um, no, it's a pretty good summary. I think the, um, what I like about the original series and the, and the movies and stuff is like when you would see a break. So Vulcans have emotions, they repress them. That's their like cultural uh-huh. way of being. But, uh, he would break a little in his half human. I think he's compensating for the half human part of him, you know, choosing to excel as a Vulcan, but living among humans all the time. Um, that, uh, was going to say, oh, so, but he would break kind of so rarely that when it happened, it was really special and it really caught your attention. Yeah. You know, there's one part in the original series where he thinks that Captain Kirk has died and then he sees him mm-hmm. alive and he breaks and he's like, Jim. And it's just like so touching. That's all he has to say. Like get a little yeah. excited for a split second and you just feel it. You're like, oh man, their friendship is powerful. You know, uh, oh, yeah. I feel like they get a little bit like, um, like, Spock's breaking all the time and he's like, I don't know, we don't forget to be J.J. <laughs> Abrams movies, whatever, but like, <laughs> I feel like they overdo that a little bit to where it's not as special anymore, you know, because he's like, oh, he's always struggling with his emotions, you know, constantly, but um, anyway, I, I, that's just, that's just a little bit of critique, but yeah, I really love, I really love that aspect of him. So th- there, there are different sides of the coin of trying to figure out what this whole like existence thing is of like how to be, you know, one's trying to shut off the emotion. Mm. The other one's trying to find it. And it mm. it's when, when you're playing in that kind of sandbox, it becomes very, it kind of shines a, a natural light on those, those moments, you know, not to dog any part. I, I love hearing different, especially with Star Trek. <laughs> I love hearing people's uh, origin stories to getting into the IP because it's so, it does, it does, Star Wars does cast a, a looming shadow. So it is, it, it's always nice to hear those stories. So like, I'm not trying to dog on any particular, you know, aspect of Star Trek, but it is an interesting thing to note about both of these characters that that's kind of what ended up becoming of the character in the hands of certain people. Data, yeah, these aren't spoilers. Okay, Data and this is like 30, 40 years old, whatever. Right. Um, Data and Spock both have trajectories in their characters that end with sacrifice. And I, I think that has to do a lot with what sort of like their whole thing is understanding what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's making a statement that the ultimate expression of humanness is to, is sacrificial love. Which, yes, yeah. of course, it evokes, uh, it evokes Christological yeah. thing. Kind of makes me think of that, uh, that Bible verse of greater love is, is, there's no greater love than giving up your life for a friend kind of deal. And that's exactly what we see here. You mentioned data also ends in sacrifice. So I, I'm going to throw this one to you. Same question. Who is data? What is his, you know, general, you know, skyline view story? What, what is his story? Um, data's like, data's Pinocchio. He was created by, <laughs> he was created kind of like by a mad, a mad yeah. scientist yeah. and, uh, on a, on a very remote planet, um, where a disaster happened and everyone was killed by the crystalline entity. Um, and data's found just as a, he's a, he's an android. He's a, he's a very advanced AI. And, um, so he, they wake him up. And uh, start, you know, talking to him and stuff. And he's like the best example of artificial intelligence they'd ever seen. And, and, and with all the um, all the markers to make him as human as possible. But what he's lacking is emotions. He doesn't have human emotions. Um, so anyway, he ends up joining Starfleet. And uh, there's some of the best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. They're about data. There's a really powerful episode early on that's like, it's probably the chief, if you want to know what a Star Trek fan is like, it's someone who loves the episode where Data's human rights are on trial. And it's yes. just like, you know, it's like a hmm. court case at a space station deciding whether or not Data should 
get human rights. And like, that's so boring, right? <laughs> but it's not. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's like super interesting. Super interesting. <laughs> I don't feel like it. Uh, so that's what Star Trek is, right? It's just like taking a strange ethical, or not strange, just taking ethical issues. And let's talk about them in outer space in these, in these different scenarios. So, yeah. So Data does get more complex. And I think even you, he's very innocent and naive and he gets a little bit more sophisticated as the, as uh, the series go on. And then the next, in the TNG films, he gets an emotion chip where he ends up being able to acquire human emotions as well. And then, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to let everyone know that we lose him in, in Nemesis, yeah. which oh. a lot of people, you know, I kind of feel that a little bit about that as I do about that JJ Abrams Wrath of Khan mix and match. It's like, it feels like <laughs> they wanted, they, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It just felt like, oh, they're doing the same thing as they did with Spock in Wrath of Khan. Like, you know, he has to sacrifice himself mm. to save her. But, um, but I don't know. Maybe it's just like people, that movie's just kind of okay, you know? So it's kind of a bummer that he went out on that note. However, quickly, sorry. Uh, on, he does feature prominently on the new Picard series, uh, through, mm. uh, if you haven't seen that, it's like his consciousness is accessed. So, uh, there's Trust. a little bit more to his story there. On the first season, oh. just the first season, it was just going to be the first season. Yeah, I feel like how 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 a lot of people feel about some of the other materials that have been coming out. I feel like that's where I'm at with Picard. Like, I know, mm-hmm. I know, and that's cool that they brought back data <laughs> uh, data for like a like an interesting plot point. But like everything they do with him is is uh, uh, garbage sauce. Just gar- just come on, you know what I mean? Like that was the yeah. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of opinions. I also, I didn't feel like, I mean, they definitely had this mentorship friendship connection, but it wasn't like Kirk and Spock. It was different mm-hmm. than the Kirk and Spock relationship, right. but they're treating it like it was the Kirk and Spock dynamic right. where TNG was more ensemble. The individual relationships are, you know, it's different. Uh, I, I just didn't feel the same way about it as I did. It. And they're acting like that's what it was. And also the writing wasn't right. (laughs) (laughs) The original series lived kind of lived and died on, on, on personality and like that, like individual relationships and like really falling on, on Mm -hmm. necessary plot points to push forward a show like that at that period of time when it was being created. Right. With TNG, you almost got the vibe that the entire thing was a living organism. Like the entire Enterprise crew was one giant group and every part had their piece and all of that kind of stuff, which was actually a very interesting uh, piece that I gleaned off of it when I watched it with with my wife uh, a couple of years ago. It was the first time I watched it since becoming a Christian. And I was like, man, this is very like there's kingdom notes in this. There's there's community notes in this. All of that kind of stuff, but made by the hand of you know, a, a historically staunch atheist. And, but, but yeah, I mean, when you, when you try and pull out an individual relationship like that and to say that it was more emotionally driven and that aspect of it, like, no, if you, if you watch data kind of always looked to captain, uh, to to Jean-Luc as almost like a paragon of humanity. Right. Like a paragon of courage and somebody that like, if I am looking to what a human is to look up to, right. This is a role model, if you will. That was always more of the, the relationship between those two, not so much buddy buddy. And I feel like they really tried to exploit that in an effort to get over a subpar uh, storyline in general. You know what I mean? Sorry to all of you Picard fans that are out there. I mean, yeah. like, just totally dump on it. But it's just, if I'm yeah. going to look at a, an aspect of Star Trek writing and say, this is just nostalgia bait. I've yeah. got to, you know what I mean? Like that's- Yeah, and they just put out the teaser for <laughs> yeah. the next season and everybody's in it. It's got, yeah. you know, Beverly's in it, Troy's yeah. in it, you know, Worf's in it. <laughs> there was... um. There was a season of South Park where they were making fun of the J.J. Abrams remaking all these different movies because it was around that time. And they had the member berries. Yep. <laughs> Everybody's just feeding member berries. We just like, remember, member? <laughs> and that's, yeah, that sounds like exactly what that is. You know, I have, a, um, I have a thing of like, if you would have gone back in time and said to J.J. Abrams, look, you can have Star Wars or you can have Star Trek. Which one would you, which one do you want? He 100% would have said Star Wars. I, I think he like, he's, 
he's a thousand percent a Star Wars fan, and that's like where his aesthetic really is strong. Who should have gotten a reboot for Star Trek? I think that would be a fun conversation to have with some fans. Like if you were going to take a contemporary filmmaker and say, oh, you get to reboot the franchise, you know? Like I, I think uh, Tim Burton. Here we go. <laughs> uh, imagine such a thing. whole yeah, new series. Um, I <laughs> yeah. like a. I, I kind of like Joss Whedon. Like I would. I wouldn't do that. That, well, that would be. I think cool. he would have done a good job. Um, but there's a lot like, more color to it. I yeah. feel like. But I wanted to say something about Spock and Data because uh, there's a couple ways that I like to like um, pull meaning from a text, a show, whatever. And one of them is just the experience that you have of the show, and I think that's. <laughs> really valid and something that makes those those characters so popular and appealing is because they're sort of they're insiders but they're outsiders you know they're like they are part of the group but they also don't really fit in and they're sort of looking at humanity and this sort of national geographic kind of how can i study the behavior of creatures who are my friends but also like i don't really fit in and i think a lot of fans like myself (laughs) can kind of relate to that experience mm-hmm. of feeling like an outsider. Um, and the way that, you know, it's not like people are mean to them or rude to them or whatever. Or they're not, they are continuously like brought into the group, but they always have those moments of like, Oh, I'm not like everyone else here. And I felt like I could relate yeah. to that. You know, like, I felt, you know, when you feel yeah, kind absolutely. of like a misfit in your social spheres or, um, and I think that um, if we're going to listen to kind of, you know, Gene Roddenberry as as a creator and who's an atheist, um, excluding making a beautiful kingdom of God-like vision of the future, but without religion, I think that we can, if we're going to be humble about it, can take the critique that oftentimes the church has not been good at inclusion. <laughs> and that that is something that a lot of us could work on. And I think that is also... Part of like Jesus is always challenging that, right? He's saying to the religious yeah. leaders, "Look, you're building. You're too busy building hierarchies, and I'm too busy. I'm busy challenging who's in and who's out. When you're trying to create more ways for to figure out who's in and who's out, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Francis Chan writes a book, Erasing Hell, which when I read it, one of the most fascinating things that he includes in there is he he makes the statement of showing where all Jesus talks about hell and who he's talking about it to. And Jesus almost exclusively talks about hell to religious leaders and rich people. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you notice Jesus doesn't mention it to the sinners and the poor people and the downtrodden. Uh, he, te- he teaches them hope. <laughs> you know, the people who think they got it figured out and are all full of themselves. That's when he's like, uh, yeah, no. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite aspects of, I remember the first time that I told, that I told the Christian that one of my favorite creative directors for a TV, for for TV is Gene Roddenberry, and they knew who I was talking about mm. when I said that. And I I've I've only been a Christian for for five years. I'm I'm the one of the elder statesmen age wise, but a pup in comparison to some of our other hosts when it comes to time serving. Um, but I I for me I process something like a Star Trek, and I I can appreciate. As, as an individual and as a Christian, this idea of looking to a better tomorrow where we stop trying to focus on the individual and we focus on, on, on advancing. We're not focusing on war. We're focusing on advancing as a, as a society, peace, those kinds of things, pursuing the scientific, all of those kinds of things, right? And to me, I think that, that it, is sometimes more powerful to watch something made from an atheist that still calls the, that still makes these notes that still can, can produce something that looks and smells so similar to what the book of Matthew is talking about when he talks about Christ mm-hmm. as the king and, and talk about the kingdom and, and the influence and ripple effects of Jesus and exposure to Jesus. And, and you look at somebody like C.S. Lewis, right? We're, to, we're, we are in the midst mm-hmm. of the year of Lewis. And, and I, I walked with a bunch of the different hosts through this review of the Narnia because I'm a huge Narnia nerd. I love, I love mm-hmm. Narnia. And it's, it's really cool to watch 
the way that he was able to interweave throughout this entire narrative reflections of truth. But we need to stop and consider the fact that a staunch atheist also was able to create reflections of truth, that it didn't have to come from the, from the source of it being a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we are looking at this objectively and if as the individual, right, there's this, this dichotomy of we are, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are also individuals that live on earth. And while, you know, uh, I, I don't know, we need, we need to not look to, to the government to legislate our beliefs and all of those kinds of things. There's a lot of ground to cover between, between like going overboard and still like being an active participant in the world and stuff like that. And like how we interact with people and how we do these things and how we work out this thing called life. And we, uh, one, for me, I'll speak individually, but I think, I think, Sari, you'll vibe with this. For me, I, I am always a sucker for, for a story that tells, that, that, that tells the vision of a better tomorrow and also mm-hmm. is one that is willing to be honest about what it takes there, about the realities of the situation. Like, yes, there's fantasy. It's, it's sci-fi. I get it. I get it. I understand it's, it, there's aliens. There's all kinds of things, right? <laughs> but this is really one of those IPs that I, that I think if we take the time to allow for the story beats to wash over you, these are some of the core questions that we should be asking as Christians of how is it that we create and foster a society where everybody can flourish, where everybody can, you know, like it's, oh, it so is baked (laughs) into this idea of what does it mean to actually lead with love, right? So often we hear love the sinner, hate the, hate the sin. Okay. I'm down with that. I'm good with, I'm good with love the sinner, love the sinner, hate the sin. I am. If we actually do that, you know what I mean? Like if that's, <laughs> if that's actually what we're doing, then aces, fantastic. Right. And I think if we can get over our ego, or, or, or this, this irrational fear that it, you know, if we listen to something made by an atheist, we're all suddenly going to catch the atheist, right? <laughs> like, and, and just accept that this is that the, 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 the valuable lessons. I, I challenge any other IP to stand up to Star Trek with just the sheer magnitude of the lessons that could be learned from take your pick Baskin Robbins. There's 52 different flavors of, 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 of Star Trek to be had. You can pick your flavor. And I still think that that same statement holds up. All right. Now I'll get out the pulpit. My bad. It's a, it's just a shame that you have your mic on a mic stand, so you can't actually drop the mic. <laughs> um, Man, there's so much that both of you got at there that uh, I kind of wanted to go back to. Sari mentioned that it is this kingdom world that we were, you were both talking about, but without religion. And to me, it's like they replaced what we would envision, you know, the kingdom in heaven looking like. Instead of God and religion, they replaced it with logic. That is his highest principle. That's why we see the savior characters of Spock and Data being the most logical people. And yet, and yet, Gene Roddenberry challenges his own stance on that. Throughout it, he's challenging, okay, but when is humanity, when is the emotion actually trump this logic that I hold so dear? And that's one thing that I think really makes him great is that he does have this belief that a more logical, a more science-based world will be a better world, but he's not afraid to challenge that all throughout these series. And that's one thing that I, I wish more people would do. Show your own belief and then challenge, just challenge the heck of it all the way through what you're doing. That's phenomenal. We we tiptoed around this a lot. It is a picture of what the kingdom could look like. We have these two characters, both of their stories end in sacrifice. And Joe, you, you mentioned, even though he's not a Christian, he's painting a great reflection of truth. And here's where this, this is part of a rant that I want to go on when we finally do is Superman, a Christ figure. I want to do that episode so bad. I've been trying to do it since the beginning for a year now. I want to describe a little bit how what I, what we mean when we talk about a Christ figure and then pause it to you guys can a character be a Christ figure 
if the creator did not intend them to be a Christ figure. Because a Christ figure is more of a motif. It's not necessarily about motive. It's not, this person was trying to show Christ. The motif goes, there is a person with either special abilities, can work miracles, is especially good in some way. That person makes a sacrifice for everyone or for a group of people, and then comes back. Now, with Picard, maybe you can say Data comes back. Maybe Data fits that bill. But I feel like Spock has a really clear picture to me where I see like it looks like a Christ figure. I don't know if we want to call it that because the creator didn't intend that. But it still looks like this thing where you have this character who's especially good, who's especially helping everyone with you know his powers of logic, the greatest principle of Star Trek, sort of. And yet... He decides the most logical thing to do in a situation is to sacrifice. And then he comes back to life. And that's where I'm like, hmm, that seems like it has all the right elements. Does it count? Uh, Joe, I'm going to give Sari time to think about it. Does it count? (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to sum up what, what I, what I would say in just a simple, a simple statement. Truth is truth regardless. And, and Mm -hmm. I think when it's a reflection of truth, it's a reflection of truth. Now, there, there really is a bridge too far when, when you start to get into this whole Christ figure thing, because you're right. It has become more, more about a, a motif than anything else. Um, you know, a person dies heroically and then comes back and suddenly they're a Christ figure. But there are some times I, I absolutely disagree that, that this is, that this is, D- d- that this qualifies for data, uh, partially because again, I'm salty about all of that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what happened. So. Yeah. Um, but I would say, out of the two of them, the one that hits more of the notes is Spock because he does something that is illogical, and he does something that breaks that that breaks the paradigm by sacrificing himself to save everybody. Right in a in 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 a move that is very clearly motivated that's very that has very clear motives to it it's mm-hmm. not just that that heroic beat but again i think there's nuance i'm not sure that the nuance lies in whether or not the the artist intended for it to be an allegory but i do think that there is nuance between what what is a hero and what is actually a christ-like figure yeah now c.s lewis was, was it talking about christ figures But he did at one point say that in every human, there is this desire to know God. So we should not be surprised in any story if something that imitates or reflects the truth is there because that desire to know God is somewhere deep within all of us. So even if it's unintentional, I could see it slipping out as just part of what it means to be human. I don't know. It it gets, it's, it's choppy waters, choppy waters. Sari, what say ye? I have a few points to make on this topic. (laughs) All right. Take take no offense. Um, (laughs) uh, I think my first thought is that uh, in a a more vague sense, the pattern of life, death, rebirth is in literature for almost all of human history. And that Christ Mm -hmm. is like the, um, um, as as the Christian example of that in this very pure form, whatever, I'm not going to go deep. I don't want to go deep into Christology. That's not my point. So yeah, like God's, God's truth, um, being just baked into us as the image of God and nature uh, is a reality. So yes, echoes of that everywhere. That said, I'm I'm pretty critical of the Christian impulse to search for Christ figures in literature. Yep, <laughs> I don't love it, and I I don't uh, and 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 this is going to bring together a couple points that I made earlier. Um, the play I think for one. Um, searching in a text for author intent is important. And I think it's also Christian because it's generous mm-hmm. listening to what is the culture saying? Maybe not, maybe not just this author, but also, but what's, this is born out of the spirit of the time that it was in. Um, so I think it's just generous listening to culture and to what the author is saying. And, um, I, I think that is, is, uh, kind of a more responsible framing for um searching for meaning and then and then third but third is that thing i alluded to earlier also which is um it's okay to mind meaning in your experience of of a text also and that could include especially if you're 
a Christian, um, like Christological, uh, you know, like, oh, this, I feel like this story, even though it wasn't the author's intent, maybe taught me something about Jesus. Like, even though that wasn't, like, if you, that's how you experienced it, I think that's pretty valid. Like, that's okay. Like, to, to have, have stuff like Star Trek, like, inform your faith. I think that's actually fine, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah. And like I said earlier, like, I experienced Star Trek as like, um, I feel like it helped teach me things about how to be a good leader and how to be a good friend and, um, and all that stuff. So anyway, that's where I'm at with that whole thing. Yeah. I, I have multiple answers to this. First and foremost, I, I think Christ figure is the absolute worst title we could have given the motif. The motif just needs a different name. Um, I mean, you could even call it seasonal motif. Uh, nature itself just does this every year where, you know, we see trees die and come back again. I'm, it, that's just, that is just the way of life. That is nothing particularly special. Um, now, I do think if we're looking at like Old Testament, uh, thinking like Moses, Joseph, Daniel, those kind of characters, they were not intended to be Christ figures by the author necessarily, but I do think their stories reflect Christ intentionally. But that's that's a time different different time. I, I think for this, we could just let stories speak about sacrifice without having to make it about Jesus' sacrifice. And one one thing we we've kind of went both ways on this so far, but I, I want to push back on the idea that it was illogical for them to sacrifice. Because I think in both instances of Spock and Data, I think it might have actually been the most logical thing to do. Spock saved more lives by sacrificing. Well, yeah, I think the ultimately, well, he said the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Like that was the logical yeah. axiom that was guiding his decision. I'm just one person and it's going to save a bunch of people. So I'm going to sacrifice myself. And I think that maybe there's an implicit idea that maybe if he was didn't have suppressed emotions, that the emotions might get in the way of making that decision. That's possible. But yeah. I mean, it's obviously, I think like modern psychology, which I'm not a psychologist, but has found that <laughs> yeah. you it's not like you can clearly separate feelings instincts from thoughts like this isn't an easy yeah. thing like it, I, I think there was a thing like maybe you know there was a time like modernism right like that science is going to fix everything with our minds and our reasoning we can fix everything but now we know that that's just not the case and that's like our mm -hmm. you can't so cleanly separate all these these parts of being human Right. The Star Trek does it yeah. to, to kind of paint a picture, you know, like kind of just, you know, the TV shows use extremes to like teach us things, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, that's the funnest. Yeah, story. exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I grew up in a tradition that was very um, intellectual and very like theology emphasizing and like kind of taught yeah. that the emotions were strictly bad, you know, but as an as an mm -hmm. adult and someone who's been to therapy, <laughs> you kind of learn that you, your mind <laughs> yeah. can, you know, you can talk yourself into all sorts of lies. Right. And, um, yeah. and they seem very logical and like they make a lot of sense. And sometimes your gut and your feelings can be signals of good things, of things that are deeper truths that you need to think through, you know? And also yeah. that even kind of, that you can't so cleanly separate. <laughs> them, you know? so. Oh yeah. It's kind of funny. I grew up almost the opposite, uh, growing up Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah kind of everything was spirit, to... emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once I went to college and started studying the Bible and hermeneutics and that kind of stuff, like, wait a minute, there's a whole logic level of this. This is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, I mean, you can't separate the bunch. I definitely overcorrected and had oh, to come yeah. back a little bit over the years. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the way, right? So I want to go back to the original point that was, that, that was made, you know, I, I want to echo what both of you guys said, like reflections are true. Uh, reflections of truth are different than ham fisting Christ. And that's where mm -hmm. I think the, that the bridge too far is right. When we try yeah. and, and thank you, Sari, for putting nuanced lyrics to <laughs> what it was that I was trying to say, but about the, um, Ser searching for Christ in everything, right? Because some stories yeah. just don't have a Christ allegory, and that's okay. I promise that's okay. <laughs> and, and like, you know, yeah, we can see proof text of truth and this and that, and like, that's its own conversation. And, and allowing for stories, allowing for your, for your faith to impact how you process things is cool. Like, aces, fantastic. But 
when we 100% ignore the artist to read our own narrative into it. Yeah, I mean, that's disrespectful to the artist, right? Like that's the artist meant for something to be taken out of this. An artist was trying to convey something, regardless of whether the, whether or not they did it well, regardless of whether or not that's your bag, regardless of any of that kind of stuff, your own personality aside, the artist was trying to do something with their art. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, especially with things that allow for more um, conversation about things like ethics, pushing the pushing the parameters of what it means to exist pushing the parameters of what of of how to human right when literally you mm-hmm. have characters in these series that are trying to figure out how to human right it it mm-hmm. invites yeah. a lot of that opposition of well i have to i have to look but what if what if this doesn't what if i don't find christ in this and 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 all of that right <laughs> And I'm not trying to like make fun of certain types of Star Trek fans, but there's just a reality <laughs> to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like to me, my opinion of Star Trek is that if you allow the stories to speak for themselves, that's when you get maximum impact, right? You, mm-hmm. Siri, I can't, I cannot believe that you referenced that one particular episode, but you hit it dead on the d- dead on the money. If you want to know what brings. A, the the most common st- type of Star Trek fan to the yard. Watch that. Watch that episode. That it's called episode measure, in- measure of a man is what it's there called. It measure of a man. I was about to say that. <laughs> I looked it up because you mentioned it. I'm like, yeah. now I have to yeah, watch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. I just want to say one more thing on the the Christ figure thing is that when when Christians say that on the Christian impulse to find Christ and everything, um, it's almost it's too tied to me too. One one of my little pet peeves too is just to Christ's death and resurrection and um, mm-hmm. doesn't like and ignore some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, which is the message of Christ's life and teachings, like yeah. the Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount stuff. Like when we talk about finding Christ and stuff, we're talking about finding a character that's that, that dies and resurrected, something like that. And like to, and that brings too, too much focus on just that one thing and not mm-hmm. all the stuff in the, before that. <laughs> you know yeah uh on 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 that note i remember the first time that i said to somebody that you can talk about the kingdom without using the words death burial or resurrection oh i was seven different shades of heretic i absolutely was in that moment i was i might as well have a pitchfork in my hand because you you need to understand at the beginning of matthew 5 it says and jesus taught them. Okay. So you're talking about like Jesus, right? The one that the, the, the one that we are supposed to be following and he taught, well, maybe we should shut up and listen to what he's actually teaching and then understand that that's what he's doing. He's teaching, he's informing. And that when you, when you understand that, yes, there is an aspect of this, that we are sinners in need of, in need of grace, all of that kind of stuff, right? That, that the significance of that. Yes, absolutely. But then that's that if you if you you understand that that's that's sentence one, line one, page one of of the story of every it's it, the, how you work this out matters. How you live this out matters. The impact that being a citizen of the kingdom of God matters. And I think if you allow for it, allowing a, a secularist to tell a story that involves some of those notes can be some of the most impactful media that you can, that you can allow to, to take, to, to, to wash over you, you know? Well, I was going to say that you guys teed me up perfectly to talk about something I mentioned earlier, my love of hermeneutics. And then we went away from it. So now I'm going to backtrack so that I can talk about my love of hermeneutics (laughs) because what we're, what you were, were getting at is this whole idea that we're trying to shove Christ into the story. And I, this is one of the biggest principles that changed everything for me. And it just really irritates me how often I see other people do it. There's this thing, um, eisegesis, which is just a fallacy of how you read a text. And then there's exegesis, which is how you should read a biblical text or anything. I see this applies just across the board generally. Eisegesis is what you're doing when you're doing. Let's put Jesus into this story. 
You're wanting that there. You're putting it in that. That's eisegesis. You're putting something into it. Exegesis is you take what the story is saying, you take it out, and then you do something with what it was saying. So in this instance, I think what we could do, what you can do, is you can see that these stories are showing that I think the ultimate end to humanity, the the most human thing you can do, is sacrifice. And also, it is logical. I think it shows both of those things at the same time. And I could take that truth about sacrifice leave the story, but then apply it to other things. And it's actually how Star Trek has taught me a lot more about God and Jesus. I forget God invented logic. And when I think about that, and I think about what Jesus did, wasn't just he so loved the world. It was actually the most logical thing to do. He sacrificed one who will come back again to save everybody. Numbers? Numbers-wise? Wow, that adds up. You know what I mean? Like, like, wow, that makes so much sense. And I feel like instead of shoving Jesus into the stories and be like, oh, look, Jesus is everywhere, we could take that out and learn something new about Jesus. And as a Christian, I think I'd rather learn something new about Jesus than shove him somewhere that he wasn't supposed to be in the first place. So in a way, it it reminds me of the big debate. Um, A lot of people were talking about uh, when the song Reckless Love came out and it was, oh, God is not reckless. He, you know, he decided whatever. And uh, what if it's both? What if Jesus was fully human? And, you know, that in a way, yeah, reckless. That was, you just give up yourself for no reason. And also incredibly logical. It's both. Wow. That both and thing. I'm sounding more Lutheran by the day because of Will. (laughs) Yeah. What are some other characters they should check out when we're talking about these cold logical characters before we move on? Well, yeah, I was thinking about this for Deep Space Nine because probably the least easy, it's, it, Deuce Nine has a fun kind of band of misfits vibe to it. There's a lot, they, you know. So, but Odo is the closest thing. He's the most like of that outsider vibe. And, um, but I was thinking about his emotional life and he's kind of reminds me more of Bones than, than Spock in a lot of ways. But, um, interesting. Uh, but anyway, he's a really interesting character and has a really interesting arc on the show. So I think he did, if I had to pick one, he, he'd be the one. Uh, Voyager has a Vulcan, Tuvok, uh, so he kind of fits that archetype, um, pretty easily. But then later on, they get Seven of Nine, who's a Borg, so she's another one, um, which is kind of interesting, like, to have a female. Borg are so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Janeway has no problem defeating the Borg, so that's, you know, that's fun. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) what else is there? Oh, there's, um... Enterprise, I don't know that series as well. I've watched some of it, um, but they also have a Vulcan as part of the crew um, to Paul. Yeah. So it's that, that, that bill there. Cool. If you had to pick one that people should check out other than Spock and Data, what's another character you think people should get to know? I would go Odo. Yeah, I would go. Yeah. Odo? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. I will look into Odo because <laughs> I don't know that one yet. Really interesting storyline. He's a shapeshifter. I love shapeshifters. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait for the scroll to enter the MCU. <laughs> like they're there, but they're not prevalent yet. They're about to be prevalent. That's gonna be great. <laughs> so Odo is Odo is a is a good shout. I, the one na- the one name that wasn't on that list that I have to that I have to throw out there is Worf. He hits mm. he hits it from a different angle, being from the the war culture, and you know the the test of your worth is your valor and your strength. And those are, those are the, the, whether or not you very much um, based off of um, what, what is most commonly associated with Viking or uh, Viking culture, um, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and he's got the bicultural identity too, because he was raised by humans right. um, on earth because he was found as a, like a war orphan, but he very much wants to be in touch with his plan on heritage, but working Starfleet. So yeah, that's a great one. And he starts off as just this, this uh, kind of in the background, right? The big, the big thing was that he was a, he was a Klingon and, and a Klingon was on the, was on the ship and all of that kind of stuff. And that was enough at first to make him set apart. And then they started building on his character and they started going into his backstory and all of that kind of stuff. And, and some of the more, um, some of the first long form storytelling that TNG does is centered around Worf and, and unpacking his character and, and really the Klingons as a whole for the first time where they weren't the big enemy and all of that. And so for me, I, I love, I love the idea of showcasing a guy 
that has, you know, that, that, that is driven to, to, to prove himself and, and comes from that culture of being told that and then figures out how do I, how do I play in the sandbox with other people? How do I develop relationships? How do I start to evaluate myself on, on different, by different standards, but while also accepting the positives that come from the upbringing and the culture and, and all of those kinds of things. That for me personally was one of the first real resonant story beats that I recognized and, and I was drawn to uh, in Star Trek. Yeah. The, the story beats with the Klingons of the original movies, just how that evolved, super fascinating to me. So as I'm getting into some of the other Star Trek newer stuff and seeing them just around, I'm like, I'm still getting used to it <laughs> because the, the movies were like my, my original reference point. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's really fascinating just to see that interaction of, oh, this has been normalized. <laughs> At some point, Klingons have been normalized. And then getting to have that, and now the Strange New Worlds going back to the time before it was normalized. It's, I'm fascinated to see what they do with that as that show goes on. It'll be pretty interesting. But, well, that being said, I think it is time for our wrap-up. <laughs> we had a lot of fun, a kind of a longer episode, but... It, these were two incredibly deep characters with a lot of incredibly deep themes. So it was kind of to be expected. Uh, one thing we like to do, Sari, as we wrap up, is just give a just a general recommendation of something people could watch, read, anything like that. Um, I, I'll go first. Uh, you should read Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, particularly because I've been rereading it, and it is just incredibly complex, amazing book. And uh, we're going to be doing a what-if episode of If Disney Made... Les Miserables. So that'll be fun. If you guys just want to do prep beforehand, it's like a few thousand pages. It's great. Uh, Joe, you have any recommendations for us today? Yeah. So I want to, um, I'm, I'm going to simultaneously give a recommendation and also give a shout out to an awesome artist, um, that, that I met over the summer. Her name is Emily Swan. She illustrates for, um, she, well, independently, but she illustrates, um, like Shakespeare, uh, uh, Jane Austen novels, stuff like that. She's, she's taking, um, kind of, uh, famous literature and turning it into different graphic novel works and things like that. And so it is really cool to take a look at a, just a, a different way to tell these, these stories with different like emphasis and different things like that, I think is, is, is pretty cool. So that's what I've been geeking out on. All right, Siri, what you got for everybody? Uh, I didn't think about this so much ahead of time. So I'll, I'll go ahead and go with, um, well, do you, have you guys, tell me if this one's been said before. Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Ever mm. heard of it? Uh, okay. I read me. this earlier this year. If you are, uh, a, like a, um, an Inklings kind of person, you will like this book. Hey. Um, she's, All right. the author's name is Susanna Clark and she's very much, the writing style is operating very much in the tradition of that writing of a British, you know, kind of tone to it, but it's, it came out, I think last nice. year, um, Piranesi, P-I-P-I-R-A-N-E-S-I, um, a great novel. It's pretty quick read. Um, uh, and I highly recommend it. So I got a new novel and Star Trek episode. I got to do like, <laughs> right after this, right. uh, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, you can always go back over to systematicgeekology.org. They got a drop down menu where it says host. We have Joe and my name. Both will be on there. You can see everything that we do. And Siri, where can they go to see other stuff that you've been working on and you do outside of, um, you know, these two episodes? Totally. Um, let's go with uh, my art stuff and my filmmaking stuff is on a website called secretartproject.com. Secretartproject.com. And um, my work life is having to do with Christians engaging the sciences and especially the psychological sciences. Um, that's a, a nonprofit I work for. It's called Blueprint 1543. And you can find resources um, 1540, blueprint1543.org. Nice. And guys, as you probably know, starting tomorrow, we will be back with our SG drive-in. We're doing a special Halloween run. So tune back in tomorrow on Fridays, the next few weeks up until the day of Halloween or right the Friday before Halloween. We will be doing these lots of good movies in the lineup. So tune in for that. 
Of course, if you want us to geek out on something you've been geeking out on, same website. You can go over there, give us a recommendation, or just ask us what we're geeking out on. We'll give you just a list of things to consume. And, of course, we need you guys to remember that we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.